Well, it's really good to be back. So good morning, my beloved uh, family and friends in Christ. I was actually on leave for the past eight days for you know, rest and a personal retreat. And like most Singaporeans, you want your holiday to last a long time. But I'm really glad to be back. For our visitors who are here with us this morning, uh, I'm Oliver. I'm one of our pastors here in this church. Pastor Arnold uh, is actually returning from the US this evening after attending to his brother's uh, Ken's uh, funeral and after spending some much-needed time with family and friends. So please do remember him in prayer, uh, him and Effie in prayer. So before we start, though, looking at the Bible this morning, because we need God's Spirit to actually open our eyes and to work in our hearts, uh, let us pray. Make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself within your word. Show me myself and show me my need for our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And make the book live to me. For Jesus' sake, Amen. We all have been there, haven't we? The times when we face difficult situations which threaten to overwhelm us. The stressful occasions that leave us with a knot of fear in our stomachs. The circumstances where we face oppositions that leave us wondering just how are we going to get through this? It could be in our workplaces where we face opposition from others because of our Christian convictions. It could be in our schools where because of our beliefs we face mocking and antagonism. Or it could be the opposition you face are from Christians. Friendly fire is often the most difficult to cope with. These are times in our lives where we find ourselves in situations where we feel a sense of fear, of being overwhelmed by the troubles and enemies we face. And if you have not faced such situations before, it's likely at some point you will, because we live in a fallen world. At times like this, when you and I are shaken and distraught, we wonder, where do we turn to for help and rescue? We see a similar setting today in Psalm 3, Psalm 3, where David is in an extremely difficult situation. He faces off against his many foes who have rose up in opposition against him. However, we see that David remains unshaken. And he tells his readers that in the face of their foes, they can rest in God because God will save and sustain them. So turn with me to Psalm 3. If you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is a psalm of individual lament. What this means is it's actually a prayer that expresses David's sorrow. And we see in this psalm, David crying out to God in sorrow for help in the midst of trouble. So please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 3 and follow along as we go through these eight verses. However, in order to understand and appreciate Psalm 3, we do need to understand its context and background. You know, many of us, when we read the Psalms, we jump straight into the first verse. But this is where the title actually provides us with a fair bit of information. And what does the title read? A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. 
This psalm was written by David, and it was written when he was in dire straits. He was facing friendly fire and fleeing from his very own son, Absalom, who was out for his life. And for us to understand even better, let's pull the picture a little bit further back. The big picture context of this psalm in the story of God's plan of redemption and rescue is this. Remember, God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, and everything was good. Then came the fall in Genesis 3, where man sinned, causing everything to be messed up and broken. And the rest of the Old Testament till this point, when the psalm was written by David, tells the story of God putting in place His plan to save a people for Himself and to restore everything. God first worked through a family, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, whom He made a covenant with, and then through a nation, Israel, whom He rescued and saved out of slavery in Egypt. He worked through Moses, the first leader of the nation, then through Joshua to bring His people to the promised land. And this is where we are. Now that His people are in the land. God continues to work His plan through the line of kings that He anointed. And God promises David in 2 Samuel 7 that He will establish for one of David's offspring, one of David's son, the throne of His kingdom forever. The promises of the covenant God, of the covenant that God made with Abraham now flows into the promises made to David as part of God's big plan of redemption. And if we end there, we were like, whoopee, this is good news. But however, just after God made this covenant with David, we see the situation described in this psalm. We find David at a low point in his life because of his sin, his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. We see this in 2 Samuel Chapter 11 and 12, God brought judgment on David and his life was torn apart by family troubles. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 12 to 14. His own son, his very own son, Absalom, rebelled against him and tried to seize David's kingship. He tries to end the lives of David and those loyal to him. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 15 to 18. However, we must not forget this, that in his lust and desire for the crown, Absalom was trying to unseat the king God himself has installed in Jerusalem to rule the nation. Absalom, by doing this, has joined the ranks of the international rebels written about in Psalm 2 in their plans, in their plot to overthrow God's chosen the anointed of the king of the Lord, King David, was forced to flee Jerusalem and to wait out the crisis at a camp across the Jordan. Therefore, this psalm reflects the national situation as well as the personal feelings of David as he is driven to prayer in the midst of such trouble. Psalm 3 shows us an example of genuine faith in the midst of of troubles, as David goes before God and prays. Just one line in the title, but it gives us this rich context. What do you do in the midst of difficult situations? Your first response show where your confidence rests in. 
is the midst of such opposition and crisis that we find David crying out to God in verses 1 to 2. Read with me in verses 1 to 2. Just follow with me. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. How many, many, many. David repeats this three times to emphasize the overwhelming enemies he faced. They are many, they are mean, and the enemies have risen up against him. David is helmed in, you can almost feel in the text, he's helmed in and oppressed on all sides. Not only their action, not only their very act of rebellion, it's also with their words that they assault David. There is no salvation for him in God. That's what they say. And by this, they do not mean that God cannot help David. For you understand that these people are from within the nation of Israel. So they would know or heard of the power of God. But rather, what are they saying to David? They are saying to David, you know David, God will not help you. That God has abandoned him. And verse 2 shows us how subtle our fear and despair may be. It may come more from our enemies' words than at their weapons, from their weapons. More from their verbal insults, snipe commands than their physical assaults. Sounds familiar, right? And this situation is not unique to David. How often have we too found ourselves in similar situations where our foes and critics tear us down with, our, with their words, causing us to despair, to fear? How often have we found ourselves on the wrong side of politics and have our person and character assassinated by malicious and vindictive talk? What then does one do in such circumstances? What would you do? What do we see David actually doing here? He tells God about it. David's confidence rests in God. And if you look carefully, David cries out, O Lord. In our English Bible's uh, translation of the Bible, is capital L-O-R-D. David calls on the name of the covenantal God in the Old Testament. It's almost like I'll use the New Testament of Abba, Father. It denotes intimacy and closeness. David goes before Father God and prays, O Lord. The very God who his foe says wants to have nothing to do with him is the one David cries out to. And what do you tell God in such a situation? You tell him that many people are saying he does not care, that he does not want to help you. You pour out your hurts and sorrows at the feet of God, who according to your foes, supposedly want to have nothing to do with you. What do you do in response difficulties and oppositions. Is God your first response? You know, in the midst of trouble, we turn to others for help. But if you turn, the person you turn to, the character and nature of the person you turn to is of great importance, right? We want to turn to someone and ask that person for help only if we trust the person, one, wants to help us, and two, is actually able to help us. And we see this happening. After the repeated how many's, David says, but, but. He kind of does a 180 about turn and turns from his enemies 
and falls and look to God. David writes in verse 3 to 4, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. But what sort of God does David have? Pastor Dale Ralph Davis is helpful here and gives his insight on this text into God's character as described by David in this psalm. So what sort of God does David have? Firstly, he's a God who is protecting God. God is a shield around me. God is a God that protects his own. This is precisely the sort of God that David desperately needed in the rebellion of Absalom against him when his enemies were seeking to end his life. David too has a sufficient God. We see here, David calls God my glory. My glory. A word that gives the idea of weightiness, of substance, of wealth and dignity. And you need to get this. Just as David's kingdom was being taken away from him, David reminds himself that God himself is his glory. That is, he's apparently losing his glory, his kingdom, his power, his prestige to Absalom. And yet, David says this, he has all the glory and dignity he needed in God himself. So we see that the God that David cries to is both a protecting as well as a sufficient God. What else? He's also a restoring God. Because David calls God a lifter of my head. And if you actually read large chunks of scripture, you see echoes of this idea in Genesis 40, where Pharaoh is said to lift the head of his cupbearer and restores him to office. During the revolt of his son Absalom, David was in desperate need of God's restoring touch. He needed God to restore him. And then David implies that God is accessible. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answered me, from his holy hill. Do you see this? Answered. Past tense. Even as David was voicing his vocal, desperate plea, vocal, desperate prayer, he's really confident that God has answered. And get this, if you are careful and you read the text and you remember the background, what is so amazing about this is King David, King David is actually at this point leaving Jerusalem in self-exile, leaving the site of the tabernacle where God's presence dwells, putting a distance between him and the holy hill. But his prayer gets to God's holy hill, even when David has no physical access there. God is accessible God. In these two short verses, David fills his vision with the character of God. God is a protecting sufficient, restoring, accessible God. And get this, David's confidence lies not in his own efforts, not in his own righteous deeds done in the flesh, but in the gracious promises of God. Even in moments of great despair, when the souls feel abandoned by all others, comfort may be drawn from the assurance that God is a gracious God who keeps his promises and answers his children. This is the God who delivered him in the past. This is who your God is. You know, I remember a story told to me by a friend 
I won't mention his name. Actually, uh, he's quite a familiar guy, though, but he hasn't been here for about two years or three years. The story was told to me when, that when he was younger, as a child, he loved the great outdoors. But he was deathly afraid of thunderstorms. So one day when he was out in the open, enjoying the wonders of creation, the skies began to get dark. But he continued to play, you know, kind of immersed in what he was doing. Soon the skies grew black. Lightning began to flash in the skies. A terrific thunderstorm was starting up and he began to grow afraid. He felt fear. And as he tried to make his way home, the darkness and his fear of the thunderstorm began to throw him into a panic. And at that moment, he saw his father at the end of the road. His dad knew he was afraid of the thunderstorm and had come out to look for him. He runs, he almost flies into the arms of his father. At that moment, the circumstances did not change. He was still in the midst of a bad thunderstorm. But he felt safe. He knows his father. He rested confidently in the arms of his father, whom he knew would care and protect him. And this is the same sort of thing David is saying in these verses. In the middle of his calamity, in the middle of his troubles, David is saying, I know my God. In the face of his enemies and the words of threats from his adversaries, David turned his eyes to the protecting, sufficient, restoring, and accessible God. This God-centered focus of his looking keeps him steady and confident, even while his enemies surround him. What is your focus in the midst of difficulties and opposition? Do you look up at your Father God or do you look downwards, focus down and around at your foes and your seemingly insurmountable difficulties? You see, my friends, you can turn to God. You can cry out to God in prayer. We see the example of David that in the midst of his troubles and attacks by his enemies, he turns to God. And face it, we are Singaporeans here. This sounds almost counterintuitive to us Singaporeans. What do Singaporeans do in the midst of difficulties and uh, in the face of adversities? We have a tendency to take control, right? We want to plan, we want to strategize, we come up with 101 strategic plans from step A to step Z. However, we can follow the model of faith that David demonstrated, of the one who in the times of thick trouble turns to the one whom ultimately rescue, salvation, and deliverance is found. Turning to God can be and should be our first response. This does not mean we do nothing. Rather, after we have done all we can, we can trust and rest confidently in God. Do you have friends who seem able to sleep in any environment? And one of the things that happened to me as I came on to pastorate is I find the, the quality of my sleep seems to decline. Sometimes I toss and turn as I struggle and work through thoughts in my heads. So I always envy my friends who seem to, at a drop of a hat, can sleep anywhere. You know, I, you know, you have friends who you talk to them and after like two seconds, you turn to them and they're asleep. You know, I really envy people who can do that. 
And David too here is shown to be able to sleep in the midst of opposition. David's view of God's unchanging character enables David to experience rest. And we read in verses 5 to 6, as David writes confidently, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You remember the background? This is actually remarkable. In the midst of a rebellion and coup, what does David do? He lays down and sleeps. Can you imagine that? Would you be able to lay down and rest, let alone sleep, when you have that many enemies around you and troubles are coming at you fast and furious? At most, you'll be tossing and turning in your bed as you try in vain to sleep. You'll be anxious, wondering and waiting what will your opponent's next step be. Would they come upon you when you least expected? How can David sleep, you wonder? And the answer is in how this text unfolds. The I lay down and slept in verse 5 comes after, but you, O Lord, in verse 3. Basically what this means is, because you, God, are who you are, I can go and take a nap. David had a peace that surpasses our understanding because he knew he has a God who is good to him and a God who will sustain him. Verse 5. God will sustain David. And this peace is both immediate, as we see in verse 5, he can rest. And also long term, in verse 6, he will not, will not be afraid, future tense. David is not held in the grip of fear. He's not only able to rest, but his knowledge of God, who is in control, shapes the way he views future his future and all his uncertainty. When you and I have fears and uncertainty, the first symptom we see of how it is is that it affects our quality of sleep. When we are afraid or stressed by troubles and opposition that comes to us, we often do not sleep very well. You know, We worry for ourselves, our family, and losing all that is ours. It's a very natural response. David understands that. After all, David is losing his kingdom, yet he goes off to sleep, confidently trusting that God can look after his own kingdom. He has a God who shields and sustains, a God who protects and gives him strength. The circumstances have not yet changed. The The situation remains dire, and yet there is really no cause for fear or anxiety. He can confidently rest in God. From his past experiences of God's grace, of God's acting to care and sustain him, to what he knows about who God is, he can have confidence in God. Do you rest confident in God? After all you have done, do you trust that God is in control and will sustain you through your difficulties? Do you trust that you are protected by God's loving care? Or does your response resemble a restless striving as you take matters into your own hands. And my friends, you can understand who God is. That He is the God who delivers, the God who sustains, and the God who ultimately shows steadfast love and goodness to us. 
I know, you know, you always hear this from pastors, you know, your pastors tell you, read scripture, and you think that, okay, this is another Oli telling me to read scripture. But the thing is this, how do you get to know God? You get to know God by regularly reading and studying His Scripture. God has really revealed Himself to us in His Word. Do regular Bible intake with the goal of understanding who God is. And we can understand God's best by looking at Christ who is the exact imprint of the glory of God. And do not wait till times of crisis and troubles you see, David is able to turn to God almost as a first response seen in Psalm 3 because he has grown to know God as he studies and meditates on the Old Testament Scripture continually. Finally, in verses 7 and 8, Even as David's enemy shouted at the start, there is no salvation for him in God. We see David singing about the salvation he expects. David writes in verses 7 and 8, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. If you read this psalm carefully, you realize there's a certain tension in verse 7. Because while when David cries out, Arise, O Lord, and save me, oh my God. We see actually his deliverance and rescue has not yet actually come. He has peace, he can confidently rest in God, but Absalom and his gang are still on the loose. He is still wanting to get at David, to kill David and steal his kingdom away. And yet David is certain, is sure of his deliverance. Actually, if you look at the verbs in the original language here, they can be translated a little bit differently. The verbs are really past tense. This is what David is doing. He is so certain of the rescue he that he actually describes his salvation and rescue as if it has already taken place. Even though strictly speaking, it is yet future. He has great confidence in his God who saves and then we run into the second part of this verse, which sometimes make Christians uneasy. David calls for God to strike his enemies and break their teeth. As I was talking to Tiam Heng, you know, who was chairing the first service, you know, this will ensure him that he has a lot of work. Okay? Enemies of God with their teeth broken, they will be looking for him all the time. Okay? But here, David calls for God to bring vindication. He asked God to clear his name and to prove him right. For David to have salvation, to have rescue, his enemies must be removed. He can have no lasting peace or security unless this is so. You actually find the same kind of thing in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 11, we recognize that this is not a nice prayer. But he recognizes if God's people are ever to be vindicated, those who oppress them must be judged and removed. Biblically, salvation and judgment comes together. When Christ comes again, God's people are safe and God's enemy receive their due judgment. 
when David asked God to save him in verse 7, he declares in verse 8 that salvation belongs to the Lord. It is God who saves. Salvation is all of God. Only God can deliver him. And this is what David declares. And the salvation that David speaks here can be broadly defined. It includes physical rescue and help from the rebellious Absalom and foes. You know, in Christian talk, when we talk about salvation, we usually think that it means forgiveness of sins, justification or entering into the kingdom of God. But here, broadly speaking, it includes physical rescue and deliverance. The way God usually delivers us from troubles and adversity of everyday life. And it's important for us to know that. Because recently I had a friend who just came back from Cambodia and she had a horrid time on the last day. Uh, her wallet, her bag, passport, everything was really stolen. And yet she managed to, managed to make her way back to Singapore on that very evening. You know, when she relayed that to me, I was, I was standing there and said, you know, God rescued you. She paused and said, yeah. Because even in the midst of our everyday difficulties, God delivers and rescues us. And it's important for us to recognize this, to recognize that God works every day. God's grace is available to us every day. However, this theme of salvation and deliverance is picked up and used throughout the big story of the Bible. As one Bible commentator, William Van Gemmeren, writes, the significance of this psalm lies not in the historical situation and David's confidence in time of deep trouble, but in his theological message. The Lord will redeem his anointed one, King David. God himself will establish his kingdom and bless his people. Through the kingship, though the kingship may be assaulted from within, the Lord's promise to David stands firm. The hope of the godly rests not only in God, but also in His anointed King. And since Jesus is the Messiah, the anticipated greater anointed one, the Christian can join with Israel in the assurance of God's promise. That is, Christians can receive the benefits of the people of God through the Messiah. The hope of the Messiah's complete victory and the desire for the establishment the age of blessing. You see this in verse 8. See, looking at Psalm 3 from the perspective of God's unfolding redemptive plan, the psalm is a witness to the intense opposition by God's enemies to God's kingdom and God's power. And we see, though David has grievously sinned, resulting in his present trouble, God's covenant God's promises to him, God's covenant with him was not broken. Despite the personal and national troubles that befell David, it is the Lord himself who graciously establishes David's own son, Solomon's kingdom. The God who gave victory to David and the blessing to his people has confirmed his love. We identified himself with David's suffering and emerged victorious. Jesus was victorious on the cross and the cross removes the power of evil and sin over us. Jesus has defeated our ultimate enemy, death, bringing life to those of us who trust and believe in Him. Through Jesus, God extends deliverance to 
victory and blessing on all who believe in Jesus' name. Penny Crosby. I think many of the older ones will recognize this name. Penny Crosby is a prolific hymn writer. And many of us have sung the hymns she composed. But some of us don't know the backstory. She was actually blinded by an incompetent doctor at six weeks of age. And she spent her entire life struggling and coping with her blindness. However, she is able to overcome her difficult situation and composed and wrote over 8,000 hymns. How is it that she's able to be unshaken where many others will be given over to despair? One of the stanzas in the hymns, Where is thy sting? gives us a hint. Let me read that stanza for us. Lift up your heads, ye heavenly gates. The mighty work is done. A broken seal, a lifted rock, Proclaim the battle won. Lift up your heads, ye heavenly gates, while saints with rapture sing. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? You see, Fanny Crosby understood what Christ has already accomplished for her. This is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has won the final victory over our enemies, the grave and death. He has won the final victory on the cross. But his victory was not only for himself, but for us. And his work removes the power of evil and sin over us. He has really defeated our ultimate enemy, death. And in doing so, bring eternal life those of us who trust and believe in him. You know, my friends, if we, could, uh, we can understand this, if we understand that our ultimate enemy has already been defeated, we can be unshaken by lesser enemies and troubles and confidently rest in God. And in doing so, we can say together with Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. On this side of the cross, we Christians have even more cause than David to face our spiritual enemies with the faith in the God who has so provided victory for us in Christ Jesus. In your times of difficulties and troubles, what will be your response? Can we, our friends, remain unshaken, resting confidently in our God, because our God brings rescue and salvation in Christ Jesus. So my friends, do not lose hope. Have confidence in God. Take these truths and preach it daily to yourself. Let us pray. Father God, immovable our hope remains. Though shifting sands before us lie, we know the one who washed away our stains shall bear us safely to the skies. Though the floods may rise, the winds may beat, and torrential rains descend, yet God we trust that your own you will not forget that you will love and keep us to the end. We know that in Christ Jesus that you will love and keep us to the end. Help us to remember this and to live lives that reflect this. For Christ's sake.